What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode 451 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, March 10th, 2017. This week, we welcome May Dooley of Enviro Health Consulting, Inc. of Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. We're calling this one from the field, the ABCs of IEQ, EMFs, and mold. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Congratulations to John Lapotere. Indoor Air Quality Solutions, Orlando, Florida, for the first correct answer to last week's IQ Radio Trivia Question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, March 10, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Name the German mathematician for whom the CGS, centimeter-gram-second unit of magnetic induction, is named. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guest is May Dooley. May is the principal of Enviro Health Consulting in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. She started her career, well, she, she was a secondary science school teacher prior to going into the indoor air quality world and uh, home inspection world. I think back in the mid-80s, we'll confirm that with May. So she's been dealing with these issues for many years. She's done over 3,000 residential and commercial IEQ inspections, most of them in the mid-Atlantic and the northeastern U.S. And she's one of those people that never stops learning. I finally got a chance to really have a nice in-depth discussion with her last year at our Healthy Building Summit at Seven Springs Resort, and I thought, you know, I've got to get her on the show here. We we need to talk a little bit about some of these things she's seeing in the field, and, and we're calling this one From the Field, the ABCs of EMFs, IEQ, and Mold. 
May has a um, master's degree in secondary science education from Hofstra and a master's in English from the State University of New York. And we welcome her to the show. Hello, May. Hello, Joe and Cliff. It's uh, delightful to be with you today. Great to have you, and uh, really enjoyed chatting with you in a little more detail last year, and hope we can do it again this year. What? How did you end up going? You know, you you and I have similar backgrounds. I was a school teacher, and um, I couldn't make enough money as a sub. And at the time I got in it, there weren't many full time jobs in this area. How did you go from teaching school to being in the uh, indoor air quality world? I would like to say it was uh, good planning, but it had nothing to do with planning. It was in the mid-1970s, and I was out. uh, The company I worked for went belly up. I needed a job quickly. I had uh, two job interviews. One was with um, selling coffee, and one was uh, with a home inspection firm, pre-purchase inspections. They offered me a cup of coffee at the first job, and I would have taken that job if it had been offered because it came with a car, which I needed at the time, and I chose decaf. It cost me the job, and I ended up in the home inspection field. (laughs) Interesting. And this was the mid-70s. Yeah, Yeah, I started out with a a franchise, um, home inspections, pre-purchase inspections, did that for 10 years and then heard about uh, training for environmental home inspection, went into that, and I've been in that ever since. Um, It's been um, a very, uh, like a a light and darkness type of contrast with uh, pre-purchase inspections, which are very um, pressured, and things can go wrong uh, at any point because of... um, Buyers thinking that uh, your inspector missed something and the homeowner, the previous owner, had actually camouflaged it. So mm. it, it was, um, this, this is a much more pleasant industry to be in, I must say. Okay. Cliff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, many of the people that seem to get into this field may have had some personal encounter with mold or with health or, or whatever. So, you just went in it just occupationally, not personally? No, both. Um, okay. uh, actually, I, I also uh, started getting migraines one day, um, living in a new, um, uh, well, not living there, but working in a brand, le- brand new renovated office and, uh, and being the weekend manager of a Ronald McDonald house, uh, which was also brand new. And apparently the formaldehyde did me in. Hmm. But this... Uh, I started with migraines, and um, they were they were pretty uh, debilitating for a number of years. So I found an environmental doctor, and also heard a, a radio program about the tie-in with mercury toxicity and migraines. Uh, got my silver amalgam fillings taken out, and with detoxification, within about two years, uh, I never had another migraine. It's been over 20 years now, so I was well aware of the. Uh, links with the environment and um, health, but also uh, knowing that it wasn't just a, a simple black and white cause and effect statement many times. There could be deeper underlying causes. And that is really very um, important for our business. We, we get clients that have come um, maybe getting a bad ERMI test reading on a house and thinking that they have to trash the whole house. Um, and really do an in-depth, um, I shouldn't say trash, but get rid of most of their belongings, the carpeting, the posted furniture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, a very high expense for people that may already be overburdened with medical costs and such. Um, there are different perspectives on this field um, and from, from doctors, uh, whether uh, living in a almost um, sterile environment is important. We we all know it's not good to live in uh, a real moldy environment, but where is the common sense um, layer in here? Um, or strengthening the immune system and detoxing maybe from mercury or something else. So it's not, um, uh, often it's not an easy uh, cause and effect relationship. Um, I I present what I do to folk as we aim for zero tolerance 
for contaminants in the house of all sorts, whether it's mold or uh, AC magnetic fields or electric fields or, or whatever, um, because it's a holistic peer, peer, uh, picture, things will get better, whether we realize it or not, within the body as the body is less stressed. And it may or may not be necessary to um, uh, to, to do the extreme type of uh, remediation. Um, I pre- I, I've been talking more and more uh, as the years go on um, with clients as to what their options are um, between uh, doing nothing or a do-it-yourself job and and a full-blown uh, get rid of carpeting, do misting afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, and I present the decision of what to do as three-part. One is the client, and they have their own life circumstances to deal with and their own limitations uh, and their own um, peace of mind. Uh, and the data that is presented through the environmental inspection and the physician. Uh, I don't know what their immune system is, and um, I'm giving them the broad spectrum of what different uh, approaches have are and referring them to uh, consider with their physician what's best for their circumstances. Um, uh, it, it is, uh, they, when I went to training, they said you, you need to wear 20 hats in this business. Um, they weren't kidding. You really have to uh, be aware of people's financial situations and uh, health as, as they share it with you and um, try to, to not be alarmist and yet be responsible in what you do share with them. Hmm. Man, but going back to the home inspection thing real quick, I, I know a lot of home inspectors have over time gotten into doing some kind of indoor air quality, some some very well, some not so well. Did you feel that doing home inspections was was good preparation for where you ended up doing indoor air quality inspections? Uh, it, well, I wasn't the inspector. I was the uh, principal. I owned a, the, a franchise. Oh, okay. Um, but I got to know the home as complaints came up. You know, that's that's uh, what happens in that industry. It's a much higher risk industry than than what we do. Um, the uh, I I did feel that it was useful, certainly in in um, an overview, but not necessary. Uh, I, I did pick up many little bits and pieces of information um, through the pre-purchase inspection, like, for example, um, at, at the time when electromagnetics, uh, AC magnetic um, fields from power lines were an issue. You know, I would attend realtor presentations and uh, lighting company presentations on that. So all that's part of the background. Um, uh, Leonard, uh, Lewis Lesson uh, kidded me at one point. He said, I think you're the only one that reads microwave news. And I read it and outlined it for years. Uh, and that has been a great background to pull on. Um, I also um, was, was around at the time when um, the buried fuel oil tanks on Long Island were a big issue and towns were requiring removal or filling in, etc. So, you know, had a chance to interact with the Department of Health on that and, and oil test, um, a tank testing companies and so on. So all of these little bits and pieces. Um, Chlordane was also a big issue on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, in, in, and several houses were demolished because of Chlordane contamination. Hmm. Every once in a while that subject comes up in what I do now. You know, what if this old house was sprayed by Chlordane and that's why you're not feeling so great? Um, so there, this... It's it's like this giant puzzle, and you're putting pieces together, and all information is useful sooner or later. Where where did you get your initial um, microbial remediation training? I know you help people with you know how to deal with microbial issues. Where did you start out? Um, I started uh, originally in pre med in college, so I had some. Uh, maybe two courses, three courses, uh, working with a microscope, and that was useful. But when um, I started this business, it was 1994, and uh, mold wasn't on the horizon at that point. It was, I think, 2000, the the Ballard um, lawsuit down in Texas. Um, So I uh, thought 
thought that I would take a refresher course in general microscopy, which I did at a local community college. And when I showed the professor the book that I was working from, uh, invent- investigating or identifying filamentous fungi, um, he said, oh, good, I've been looking for a book like that. So that's how new it was before 2000. Um, and in fact, right before that lawsuit hit the, the um, news, my accountant had said, you know, I think you better look for a job. Uh, it was just that hard to sell the services back then. Um, so that's that's how I basically got started. And um, my, my business started once mold became an issue. So it was interesting uh, carrying on with the microscope. Of course, I had taken uh, in, a, in a, an older version of uh, building biology, um, they they taught us to start with the microscope on site. I think that that has kind of fallen by the wayside over the years with them, but I have found it invaluable. Um, and I started out uh, taking tape samples at, at one or two houses, bringing them back to my office, looking under the microscope. And by the second house, I said, boy, if I was at the house, um, I would take a few more samples in this area based on what I just saw under the microscope. And, and I said, duh, why don't I bring the microscope to the house? So for almost 25 years, I've been bringing a microscope to almost every inspection and just have found it um, invaluable. In fact, I occasionally say to a client, um, uh, you know, we've, we've learned so much sitting here going over the, the slides and, and such uh, right on site, and I can project onto my computer monitor what I'm seeing. And I said, I just say, you know, do you realize that there's uh, almost no one else around here that's using a microscope, um, no other mold inspectors? And they're, they're dumbfounded. They, they think I'm kidding. And they, they uh, just don't understand it. And, and I don't either because it is such a useful, it's my eyes looking for something that's usually invisible. Um, it's my eyes. I can't take um, 40 samples that I might be doing at a house and send them all to a lab because it's, the cost is just prohibitive. Sure. So having, having the microscope available, it gives me uh, that freedom to sample as many places as I want to. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was sitting at, around a kitchen table in a, a farmhouse in, um, uh, an hour from me in Pennsylvania, and um, uh, I was demonstrating, just starting, demonstrating how we use the microscope, how we use a little tape, a clear tape, and do a sample. I said, oh, here, let's see what's under your kitchen table. So I just swiped, uh, uh, touched the tape under the table, put it under the microscope, and bingo, full of aspergillus. Hmm. And, and it was, you know, it was amazing. So we, we were just very surprised at that. You know, what was the history of the table? Nothing showed up there. Could it be a moisture issue in the house that was just uh, dampness and there's just too high relative humidity for too long a stretch? Um, then, then we had to go and sample other areas. And I do what's uh, basically a composite sample. Touch okay. one tape to all the furniture, especially on finished surfaces on the bottom and the back in a room. We look under the microscope. If we don't see anything good, we screen the room. If we do see something, then we have to go back and try to isolate which pieces of furniture there are. And we're basically trying to answer on the hypothesis, is, this, uh, is the furniture at risk in this house because it's a damp house? Um, so that's kind of what leads to what. And, um, you know, if, if, if I hadn't had the microscope, I would never have thought to just sample under that table and send the, ta- the sample to the lab, and yet the woman is very sick from exposures and sits at the table all the time. And, and we're talking aspergillus. Uh, actually, it was visible under, under that table, and they had never gone under to look for it, I guess. Do you so think it was something um, that, you know, what? Mm-hmm. Do you think it was there, or maybe, you know, I have found cases similar to that, but where mm-hmm. they bought furniture that had some mm-hmm. mold contamination, didn't know it, brought it into their unit, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, we find it later. But it's tough to find unless you're doing a lot of samples or, you know, especially when it's not quite mm-hmm. visible yet. Well, that's that's the joy of the microscope. Yep. You know, we do a lot of samples. And figuring that um, I touch each tape to maybe a half a dozen spots or, or a dozen even, um, so if we're dealing with, let's say, uh, 
40 tapes times a dozen spots each, you're, you're up in the hundreds um, that we're screening for here. Uh, and, and it, uh, you know, uh, the, the more I'm in this business, the more sampling I do between the tapes and the air samples because tapes can miss things and, and air can miss things, but put them together, we better our shot of, of um, locating something. And then I've uh, recently, over the last year, have added in um, um, a, a tool that Joe Spurgeon has come up with, which is uh, DNA testing. But it's, it's, um, people would be more familiar with a similar, uh, somewhat similar type of testing um, called the ERMI test. Mm-hmm. However, Joe has uh, done research on um, and found instances where you can get a high ERMI score and um, there's not much mold, or you can get a low ERMI score, and there's a lot of mold, that the ERMI score is not always that accurate. So he um, did his own research. He studied 93 houses and uh, plotted, them, plotted the findings out, uh, came up with a series of graphs to help interpret the, the um, spore equivalence numbers uh, from the, the 36 species that are listed in the ERMI test, only he's not using the ERMI scoring now. He's using these charts, which are research-based and which he has used in court, and they have stood up uh, in his cases. Um, these are, have been just another tool that's been really good um, because it uh, takes me and our clients away from the um, places where ERMI scoring would be misleading. And because the stakes are so high for people, they see a bad score and they think they have to throw their carpeting out and, and, and you know start that path down the line when the scoring might be misleading. Hmm. So I've been using his testing. Um, for example, about a month ago, I was in a, a bedroom where the woman was having reactions and she spent a lot of time in there. There had been previous um, remediation of a ceiling leak for stachybotrys. It was done um, I know the company that did it. I'm sure they did a good job. Uh, and yet, uh, and, and spore traps, samples, tape samples, nothing showed anything. Used Joe's um, charts and the 36 species and tested them out, and stachybotrys was high. So now we are facing, or she is facing, uh, an in-depth remediation of that room. And um, and then we, I did a control sample in another room that I completely expected to be fine. It had no carpeting. It was well away from the bedroom, and it wasn't fine. So it raised a question of what's in the rest of the house. So we'll be doing some more testing there um, and going with that. But where I found it even more useful, this this, uh, method, is um, in testing HVAC systems, doing a dust sample at the supply vent, seeing what's there, and then doing the charts. Um, Joe has been uh, a fine mentor for me. I'm very grateful to him. Uh, I, I wandered into his pre-class um, at, uh, a year ago at the um, IAQA conference down in Orlando mm-hmm. and um, uh, just learned so much. And we connected on, uh, uh, on some concerns about the Army score. I said, you know, I get these houses that either may have a good score or the person in one case did four ERMI tests over a period of 10 months without any remediation in between, and you would have thought it was four different houses on the same two rooms. Um, where, where is the truth with, with these tests? Um, and, and Joe pointed out that, you know, it's, uh, the, the scoring has, has been um, uh, less than accurate at, at times because that was my concern too i'd find a really good house with a really bad score and um you know there was no way to explain that uh, other than to to redo a test and the next score was fine so was it just an isolated uh, spot check that was bad or what hmm. um but uh as i said joe and i connected uh, over this conversation and he subsequently wrote a little paper um, wrote up his research on the ERMI scoring method, which um, he, I'm sure, would be happy to, to share with anyone um, who requests it, or you can contact me, too. Uh, let me give you Joe's email address, J-O-S-P, 
P-U-R, Joe Spur, Joe Spur, but Joe Spurgeon, Joe Spur 46 at gmail.com. My email is may at createyourhealthyhome.com. I try to repeat those later. What we could do, um, May, is um, mm-hmm. Cliff will be doing a blog on the show, and, mm-hmm. and we can certainly provide a link to that document as a part of the blog. Good, good. Uh, and we have that, and we also, I also have his charts and a write-up of instructions for other inspectors. Um, after I worked with Joe one-on-one on the phone, to understand how to use the charts, and Joe has reviewed those instructions. So we also have those available to make um, for for anyone who would like to see them. Uh, so I think that's, that that would be the, really helpful. The, yeah, sure. Well, let me let's do this. I'd like to talk a little more about that topic, but maybe a little later in the show. I want to kind of finish up a couple things. Yeah. We, we wanted to talk to you about um, before we go back into that in a little more detail. And, and okay, one could of the I, things... Could I go just ahead. say one thing, Joe, first? Please do. Um, yeah. Uh, when you're working with the microscope, um, you have photo documentation, but this is still not acceptable in court. This is uh, in-house um, studies, invaluable. Um, uh, it helps us to see whether there's any mold, whether there's a lot or a little, but we're not looking for... Uh, scientific accuracy and numbers and so on and third-party confirmation from a lab. I have the the luxury of getting most of my business from doctor referrals. People are concerned about their health, and, and that's the beginning and end of it. They're not looking to sue somebody. They're not doing a, a legal transaction. Uh, I make it clear this is a screening inspection, both for the microscope work and for the uh, culture plate air samples that we're doing throughout the house, every room, the car, the, the dehumidifier, the air purifier, uh, anything we can think of to check. All of these are done in-house. It's, a, it's just a screening. We're, um, I've even started uh, doing bacterial screenings on filtered water. Um, the, if we, it's, it's not an either-or. It's not either uh, it's, it's um, uh, acceptable in court or it's not. You can do both. You can do the in-house for enhancing the, the court findings or the, the uh, legal uh, paper trail findings, and that has just been so freeing to me not to have to depend on sending everything to a lab, although I have the option of sending whatever I want or my client wants to a lab as well. Just wanted to make that clear because um, uh, that has to be in some sort of a disclaimer in this type of inspection. I think that's an important point. I'm glad you made it. I've got so many questions now, but let's go back to a little bit on mold. Do you you think there's been too much, in your experience, too much emphasis on mold and too little emphasis on other potential causes contributing or or contributing factors to people's health issues in homes or buildings? Uh, I do. Um, I I think not not too much on mold, but too little on holistic on on an approach because I could just sit here for an hour and give you stories of um, maybe mold was the main thing. But this other thing was really, really important, too. Um, for example, I tested for, for gas leaks. I always test for gas leaks when there's gas. One woman called me and said her gas man um, told her to call me and thank, her, thank me because her house could have blown up at any time. And wouldn't it be a sad thing for an environmentalist to go in there and just look at mold and, and uh, not find this other? And that's, that's always been kind of my fear of missing something that's really significant, so I try to be as, as inclusive as I can. Uh, a child um, at one house in um, Long Island uh, was just, just was a pastime to peel the paint off the uh, old door, uh, the old closet door in his bedroom, lead paint. You know, I mean, it'd be a shame for an environmentalist to go in and miss something like that. Um, there and then getting into electromagnetics, so so many stories um, about that. You know, um, people, especially with the sleep issue. I have trouble sleeping. I can't sleep in this house, and you have the option of finding something that that can change their lives on that. Um, I got a holiday card this past um, December from a man that wrote and said. He said, I can't thank you enough. He said, I've been sleeping for the past year now, and what a difference it's made. 
Um, he, he had um, a very high voltage at his bed, and he had a couple of wiring errors. Once those two things were corrected, he could sleep. And, and another man said, I can't sleep in this house. Um, uh, and we checked the voltage of his bed, really high. It was like an average house, let's say, is 2,000 millivolts. His was 32,000, the highest I've seen. And usually the issue is the bedroom wall outlets, so we turn those off and um, still 32,000. It wasn't the wall outlets. Turned the power off, went to, you know, very low. So we knew it was something in the household wiring, and it turned out to be a furnace that had a wiring error. Um, he, he got that, well, they turned it off, this, the breaker, until an electrician could get to it, and the man been sleeping ever since hmm. <laughs> at nights. <laughs> we so, had, um, uh, another woman, same thing, another woman, I can't sleep in this house. It was unplug the electric blanket, unplug her reading lamp, she could sleep. Hmm. Yeah. Well, before, yeah, we, we were real close to halftime, but, um, you know what, let's do halftime because I know the next question is going to take a minute or two. John, let's, let's go over to halftime, thank our sponsors. We'll be right back with the second half of our interview with May Dooley. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them. WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. And please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. Okay, we're back. Second half of our interview with May Dooley. The first half went so fast, I don't know if I'll ever get to all these questions here. Cliff, I want to give you a chance to jump in because uh, you, you helped me write some of these, and I want to make sure you get the ones you definitely want answered, answered. Okay, May. Um... You know, from your website, I understand that you coach property owners in performing do-it-yourself mold remediation. What are the most difficult concepts for do-it-yourselfers to understand? Uh, well, certainly con uh, safe containment and so on. Um, I try, Cliff. Um, I try to provide information from one end of the spectrum to the other because people have uh, such, so many people are so stressed financially, they can't do what they would like to do if they had, um, uh, you know, ample funds. So I, we have to do what we can with what there is to work with. Um, I write out the, my remediation guidelines, um, which try to stretch the gamut between um, people that, as I said, most of my work is doctor referrals, so people are coming with with lab results um, before I even meet them. They they either have mycotoxin testing done through real-time labs, they have the ERMI test through uh, mycometrics or, or other labs, um, they have blood tests, uh, IgG, C4, things I don't even know what they are, but they, they know that there's this mold there. So we're, we're really trying to um, work with them where they are with what they can do. And it, again, it's not my decision of what type of approach they're going to take to clean up. That's between them, their pocketbook, their illness situations, and their position. Um, so I'm providing uh, industry standards uh, that will um, 
hopefully address both the um, shoemaker protocols and the other doctors who are closer with the real-time lab approach, um, a, a universal protocol that will uh, address all of above. Um, I really haven't found anyone who has told me that they have um, research showing this, that, or the other thing, uh, removes mycotoxins, um, and uh, and there, there are many questions on that. Um, Joe and I, uh, Joe wrote, wrote a paper, and then he and I did a Q&A on mycotoxins afterwards, and most of the research, uh, as I'm sure listeners know, um, has to do with ingestion of mycotoxins rather than um, uh, exposure yeah, in the home. But, but we have to... Um, uh, I, I have more questions than answers on this. I don't, you know, Joe um, uh, has his research has found that uh, if the mycotoxins are being excreted in the urine, it shows the body is doing what it's supposed to do. And there's the question about bioaccumulation. Uh, my job is not to try to figure out the medical end of things, but just to accept what the doctor says and try to work with it as much as possible and, and include the the prop the best cleanup. Um, guidelines I know of, uh, which are not complete on the mycotoxin issue, in the um, in my write-up. Um, so that uh, that's kind of been my approach on this. And then, if homeowners uh, have to do it themselves or have to work with a contractor, at least they know what they need to do. Um, some have bought air scrubbers. Some have rented um, negative the negative air portion, the, the ma- machines, um, uh, some have, you know, gone, gone from there on different, different, um, areas of the, what, what they can do. Um, we don't even know in some cases whether, uh, what, what they're reacting to. Is it mycotoxins? Is it microparticles? Is it spores and hyphal fragments? Is it MVOCs? Um, I had such an interesting, uh, case um, not too long, well, a year or two back. This was a nonprofit dormitory, huge crawl space under the dormitory. The students were um, complaining of asthmatic reactions and so on. And um, uh, I wrote up what needed to be done. They didn't have the money for remediation of this huge crawl space, which was the source of the mold. So about a month later, I got a call from the property manager. He said, Well, we solved our problem. Oh, what did you do? Um, they put two vents in one end of the crawl space and two exhaust fans in the other and exhausted the air. And the complaint stopped upstairs. Ah, interesting. Uh, VOCs is what was causing the reactions. And that's not even talked about much. We don't have that much uh, research on VOCs. Um, but depending on what camp you're in, you know, it's either mycotoxins or it's it's uh, microparticles that are the concern. So... Um, I, I had a, a doctor um, uh, call me or email me and May, you're the best. And I wrote back. I said, I'm not feeling so bestie right now. The more I know, the more questions. The more I learn, the more questions I have. And she said, Welcome to my world. And I think <laughs> that we're all in this. You know, we're in this together, trying to help each other and put the pieces of the puzzle together as best we can, with common sense and not going overboard in one direction or another which is hard when some of these questions you need a crystal ball to get an answer to. No. You know, we had um, we had Richie Shoemaker on last week, and I was surprised that he he backed away from the whole mycotoxin mold thing, actually. And I think he said that it was about 1% of the issue, and, and he was, you know, leaning toward the microbial soup of, uh, and that we don't know what in that soup is causing people to have, health issues uh in these you know damp buildings one of the things Uh he mentioned was the uh, actinomycetes and that that he thought maybe they played Uh some role in this and and it was a fascinating Uh interview and i I think even Uh people like he you know he's changing his thoughts on it i've got a couple text Uh questions here may um one Uh is from a listener how do you interpret mold sample results with respect to the health risk and i know that could be a long a long yeah. One. Uh, actually, it's it's a fairly short answer I would give. Joe uh, Spurgeon pointed out to me something that I was amazed at. He said, "You know, there's there's almost no. I think he said there was no. Um, if I understood, but I I know with with infectious um, fungal 
fungal infections, there certainly would be research on them. But he says the, what we're reading, like the 36 species and so on, that is basically the ones that are found, not the ones that are necessarily um, linked to symptoms or proven to be causes of symptoms. I remember going to um, Johns Hopkins, a conference there years ago, with doctors and remediators, and they were troubleshooting, um, just uh, brain, brainstorming, rather, um, on ideas, and the doctors were telling the researchers uh, what they needed to know. And one doctor, a moderator at, at one session, said, he said, you ask any physician in this room whether uh, exposure to mold can precipitate as asthma, and they will say, yes, we've seen samples of that. He said, and then he said, well, it's not proven. It's not shown in the research. So we're, we're you know, heard many times we're in the wild, wild west when it comes to mold and research is in the beginning. But um, I, that said, how do I know whether epicoccum is, is really significant in the HVAC system or not? Um, I have to go, I have to do my fallback position, which is zero tolerance for mold growth. I want to, you know, do the best we can to get this home free of mold growth and, um, and good housekeeping and a, you know, good HEPA vacuum and not using feather dusters and things of that sort. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I've looked up epicoccum online and, you know, they link it to different things. But what I'm hearing Joe say is that the, the, the research has not been there, is not there. And uh, I don't know where they get the idea that it is an allergen. Maybe anecdotally could be. Uh, I, I don't know. And I, well, let me let me go to another question, May. A text from another listener: How do you determine a clearance criteria for your projects? Do you have a clearance criteria? Since you know there is no, as I understand it too, there's no correlation certainly between spore trap sampling and health effects. And um, I don't know that there's much of a correlation for any type of sampling and health effects. But um, so if that's the case, then how do you determine when, when a project is done? Do you have a clearance criteria? It's, it's a real hard question, Joe. Um, I, I put up, again, the options. We, um, first of all, I'm, I'm strong, and I've been strong on uh, using sealants ever since I was in this business. In fact, when I took my original um, mold inspector course uh, for the first certification, I said to the instructor at the end, I said, if I had any discretionary money in the EPA or wherever this money comes from, I'd put it into um, finding adequate and least toxic sealants um, because it's one thing to clean a surface and have it pass at the time, but I want something more permanent. I, want, I don't want mold to come back there. I don't want the roots to regrow or whatever, they, whatever else might happen. So when I go into a, an area that has been remediated, I see the sealant all over, and I know if I do tape tests or anything, it's going to be negative. So that's one thing I do. Um, uh, and then, I, of course, do the standard spore trap tests, uh, the, the place, the control area, and outside. And incidentally, um, I tell the people there's one reason I do outside samples, and it's so I don't look like an idiot to somebody that's reading your report, and your report loses credibility for that. <laughs> uh, Joe at point, pointed out at the training session a year ago, um, he, he asked the, the class um, members, how many um, believe that uh, if how many would be satisfied if they got readings of let's say uh, 500 uh, colony forming units for S Pen uh, outdoors and 100 indoors? How many would be satisfied? And he probably used different numbers, but um, seemed like most of the class would be happy with that. And he said th those numbers are irrelevant unless you know what the species are indoors and outdoors you're comparing apples and oranges, and you're not going to get the species from spore trap sampling. Right. So, but right. that get, getting back to that, um, Dr. Shoemaker has, um, uh, working with Greg Weatherman, has a um, method of testing for microparticles to see if they're there or not. Um, uh, and I haven't had any client do that because you have to set out um, plastic trash, bag, trash bags for um, static electricity attract, attraction. Um, and uh, that for for a week or two, and they don't want those hanging around after the remediation job. So I haven't can't speak with experience from that, but they do have some 
method of um, doing the ERMI test on that afterwards. Um, that that's mainly it. Uh, okay. I'm I'm pretty careful in in who I recommend for remediators because um, there's just so many out there that you know maybe haven't been trained the uh, best way. Of course, you want to do a yeah. thorough visual inspection, make sure they've cleaned the of area, course. et cetera. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Now, yeah. let me ask you this. You mentioned remediation standards and guidelines, and, and I've heard some people kind of slam those standards and guidelines as inadequate for people um, who are living in damp indoor environments, et cetera. It sounds like you're uh-huh. not, not quite to that point. Well, you know, let me let me refer back to Dr. Shoemaker. Um, I, I streamed his conference a year ago, November. Uh, he opened with a couple that basically gave their testimonial. Um, we we were so sick. We followed what Dr. Shoemaker said. Now we feel great. Thank you, Dr. Shoemaker. All it cost them was being out of their home for nine months, throwing just about everything out, including their artwork, a hundred thousand dollars in remediation. And at the end of that, I said, boy, you know, I don't have many clients that could afford to do that. Uh, you know, is, is, that where, is that necessary? I don't know. It's not up to me to make a decision. I'm sure Dr. Shoemaker um, can support what he says in terms of uh, blood tests or whatever other, other inflammatory markers he uses. But I'm stuck with the, the thought that, you know, in, in over, all the houses I've inspected, Maybe I haven't found mold growth, in, especially in basements, in a dozen out of over 3,000. Does that mean every house on the East Coast needs to have um, tens of thousands of dollars in remediation of the basement and upstairs? I mean, what's wrong with this picture? You well know? said. Well where, said. Yeah, where does common sense come in? And, and again, bringing in the doctor as part of the decision-making team. I want to go back to the um, electromagnet, the EMF issue, but before I do, Cliff, do you have anything you wanted to ask before we change gears a little bit? Uh, I, I do. One of the things that you mentioned was this fogging process, and um, I'd like to know what your results have been before and after and you know what you base your recommendation on. Well, you don't really know, Cliff, because... Um uh, we're not testing before and after on any particular project. You know, we're just doing the after. Um, I, I don't. I, I, up to, up to me, I probably wouldn't include it at all. As as Joe Spurgeon says, you know, it's been known in the indoor air quality uh, discipline for a long time that fogging with water with a little surfactant um, helps clean the air. But maybe you get enough cleaning from your negative air machine and so on. Um, so you don't need that. Um, uh, I, I include it because of the uh, physicians, you know, that are convinced that it's useful. Okay. I'm sure they know more than I do, so I'm happy to put it in in each in each um, of my write-ups as a as an option. And then the people know it exists. If they want to use it, they do it. If they're if they're not concerned about it, they don't. Um, okay. So I don't have research like that, but I sure wish there was money for research for these these practical questions for those of us in the field. Um, but it all seems whatever is goes to the health um, issues, not not to uh, practical questions like sealants and and cleaning products and and I'll, misting products. I'll second your thoughts on that. And if anybody would like to help us, um, the Healthy Building Summit, we do research every year, and it comes out of our pocket, although hopefully this year we'll have some sponsors. And that's one of the things we want to look at. You know, uh, We've mm-hmm. been looking at remediation with you know negative air and then with just scrubbing, with both, with positive pressure, what that does with particles. This year I hope to add some more on that, Cliff, and uh, – we look mm-hmm. forward to seeing you again, May. I hope hope you'll be able to join us. One of the things I want to get you to talk about at this year's event is is your your experience with EMFs, and um, uh, I think you yeah. call it electrical pressure. Can can you tell mm-hmm. people a little bit about what electrical pressure is, and is electrical pressure, as you have on the website, the same as electromagnetic fields? Sure, I'll be glad to give uh, you know a quick tour through through that. Um, 
the there are two words that are like umbrella words. One is electromagnetic fields or electromagnetic radiation, and the other is radiation. They both stand for the full electromagnetic spectrum, which starts from low frequency, proceeds up to very high frequency, and then crosses the line into ionizing radiation, which acts like both a wave and a and a um, a wave and a particle particles. Um, so I. I test for roughly a half a dozen things at houses, um, starting with two things related to household wiring. One is AC magnetic fields, which should be really close to zero from household wiring, except around motors, um, transformers, and heat coils. Uh, this is um, uh, These are concentric circles that pass through just about everything in the path. They've been associated with all sorts of health links, um, microwave News has tracked the international research for years. Uh, you can go onto their website and get all the back issues of Microwave News for free that I used to pay $325 a year for. Hmm. And um, you can also um, sign up for their um, notification list, and every month or three you'll get um, uh, just a little report on some of the latest findings relating to health research that has been done with electromagnetic fields. Uh, particularly high frequency these days. So the the uh, simple tool to use to measure AC magnetic fields, which is the, started this whole thing with the power line issue and the New York State Attorney General and uh, a few others that um, were concerned about schools too close to power lines. You can get a simple um, Gauss meter online, uh, f- such as the Gauss Master, G-A-U-S-S Master, for about $30.00. And it's a simple tool. It doesn't go up that high, but you don't need it to go that high. If it's at 10 milligauss, it's already too high. One milligauss is, or lower is um, preferred for ex- pro- prolonged exposure. Um, the, uh, sometimes you find a house that is a real concern with that. One house, for example, had power lines in the backyard. I couldn't get anywhere be, below 7 milligauss, uh, actually 9 milligauss, anywhere in the house. It was all... 11 to 9, um, and the woman said, um, I'm out of here, I have breast cancer. Hmm. So they, that was sold. Um, the, the other thing at household wiring is voltage, or what uh, AC electric fields, also called that. Voltage is different from AC magnetic fields, which are concentric circles going through everything in their path. Voltage goes to antennas. Our bodies are mostly water. We are antennas, and we get this voltage on our bodies. We can measure the voltage, um, uh, the place where it's most important, which is in the sleeping area, and you use just a simple um, AC electric field meter um, in a multimeter uh, just to measure them. You measure between the person and the earth, um, and the instructions for making those measurements are on my website, createyourhealthyhome.com, in the EMF tab, and then that goes to the body voltage tab. So we make those measurements, and then we see what we can do to reduce the fields. We, we might um, reduce them by unplugging things near the bed, by grounding the bed frame, which is, serves as an antenna, if it's metal, um, uh, by seeing which breakers, which circuits are affecting the bedroom, and then the people would have the option of turning them off at night or having their electrician put them on a relay box, and and uh, then um, they could ha- t- turn them off uh, remotely from the bedroom when they're ready to sleep. Um, or we might use the the earthing concept um, of grounding the uh, the person. Um, I, I really don't like the have have contact with the person and the and the um, conductive cloth because the more you wash the cloth the weaker it gets and um, that's an expensive proposition if they lose their strength sorry i'm losing my voice let me just take a little sip here go right ahead may it's been fascinating so far (laughs) good thank you um so we get it down um, to where it's as low as it can be, and usually that's under 20 millivolts, and we may start at 2,000, 4,000, 18,000, depending on the situation. Um, uh, so that's, that's the voltage, and that has, um, I've gotten many feedbacks on, on uh, people sleeping better when that's reduced. One mother said her five-year-old stopped bedwetting 
the night that the voltage went down. Hmm. Uh, it, we, it, this affects everybody. Our bodies are electric, and um, we're, we're getting this electrical information from the outside, which our body is taking in as information. And whether it's a, a good response or a bad response, we, you know, we, we, we too pick up on this. So those are the two things that we measure household wiring. And, and at the bed, I'll just mention one other thing. Um, uh, there's DC magnetic fields that are not going back and forth in the household wiring. We can check that using just a simple compass um, and pulling it across the, the bed if it has inner, spring, inner springs in it because they get magnetized during construction. I had one woman that said, I wake up with a jolt in, in the middle of the night, and when I drew the compass across her new bed, um, the, it, was, it has a 360-degree swing around it. It was so magnetized. It was the bed that was uh, serving as an antenna and picking up signals during the night, waking her up. Um, so now moving up, the, up the line to high frequency. Um, we have two types of high frequency. We have analog, which is radio television. Our bodies are used to analog, nothing new there. We can measure them and um, make adjustments as needed, maybe put up shielding cloths if we need to or, or switch from fluorescent lights to, um, uh, to um, lower energy halogen, um, etc. Um, or uh, we, uh, or it's um, a digital uh, radio frequency signal. The difference is one is this is, you know, speaking like a caricature, but it's the smooth high frequency wave. The other is the smooth radio frequency wave that we've always had, plus a digital uh, pulse riding on that wave. This digital pulse is new to the human body. We've never been exposed to this before. We are all in a gigantic experiment, and we cannot avoid being in that experiment. Even if we don't use anything wireless ourselves, we are still being exposed because it's everywhere. So at least we can minimize what, is, what we're being exposed to in our sitting, sleeping, living areas. Um, there is a meter that will measure both for about $150. You can get it. It's called the Electrosmog TES-92 meter. That's T-Tom, E-S-Sam, dash 92, electro smog, and it's about $150. It's a good screening meter for both of these, um, and that, that's uh, one thing that is available. Now, um, and probably everybody has heard of uh, cases of people getting tumors on the side of the face, head where they've used their cell phone so much and so on, women getting tumors where they've tucked their cell phones into their bras, um, uh, Dr. Martin Paul has done uh, a, a lot of research in this area, and he has, he has found measurable differences in calcium ion exchange intracellular in the body at extremely low exposure levels. So, um, you know, whether using a cell phone um, as our main phone for hours a day uh, is going to result in, you know, 10 years earlier dementia or what, we have no idea. Um, but it, it behooves us all to remember that the, it's only one safe number, and that's zero, and to take whatever steps we can to um, get to that. There are ways to set up your, your computer, um, Ethernet cable for one thing, um, so that you don't have that wireless exposure. Use a landline phone so you don't have the wireless there for prolonged exposure. There are other ways that I do have written up, and I won't go into them here because I'm better off having my clients read them since I'm not a real techie person. Um, but uh, anybody that would like to have my, my report format for electromagnetic fields, just, just let me know. I'll be glad to share it. And, and a lot of this information has been helpful coming from Sal LaDuca, who is um, a, real, uh, a, a real gem of a resource person in, in my area and, and tra does travel. He works for... Um, a, a power company during the day. He's a troubleshooter. He's um, very knowledgeable hmm. uh, um, in their system, and he works in his off hours for people who are electrically sensitive to help them to um, to be able to tolerate living in their homes. How did people and know? And um, I'll mention one other thing too: um, ionizing radiation. I use a Geiger counter um, for that, uh, checking people's granite countertops. 
um, which usually have a little elevation, usually not too much. Uh, however, at one house, I was admiring the woman's um, antique, uh, different types of antiques. She said, wait, I'll tell you, show you my centerpiece. So brought me over there. She said, it glows in the dark. <laughs> I said, oh. really? <laughs> <laughs> so the Geiger counter showed that it was hot. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah, and uh, so, uh, as I said, you never know. You know, yeah. what... What would lead someone to to realize they're electrically sensitive? What types of health issues, other than you mentioned sleep, um, mm-hmm. not having trouble sleeping, maybe the the brain tumors? By the way, we I actually had an article on this week's show announcement linked to um, California has proposed uh, at least a. Um, a document be released to the general public about that particular issue with the cell phones, etc. And I, I don't use one. I use it as little as possible. I prefer my landline. Mm-hmm. But um, what kind of issues do people? Other issues do people have? We had, by the way, we had Nicole Bilsma on the show. It's got to be five years ago. She's a bi- biologist from Australia, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. she had miscarriages. Um, I think three or four miscarriages before finding. She had some electromagnetic field issues in her bedroom, and then once they corrected mm-hmm. that, she she was able to uh, conceive and have a couple, bring a couple kids, twins mm-hmm. actually. No, that's anecdotal mm-hmm. evidence, but still, you know, I think there's enough of this anecdotal evidence piling up that it's something indoor environmental quality people should be aware of and hopefully be able to um, make some recommendations for people on. Right. There are tons of research on this field, too, as, as uh, um, Lewis Lesson has accumulated. And I have, I have a uh, literature review, too, which I'd be happy to send out to, to folk. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, both with this and the mold part, um, I, I run my inspection now, which has been a, an evolution, uh, like a eighth-grade science classroom. Uh, people learn to use the equipment. Uh, they do a lot of the measuring themselves with, under my direction. Um, they're doing the air sampling while I'm working with the microscope. Uh, we really have, um, you know, quite a, an enjoyable social experience as well as learning a lot um, on on the inspection. So it's it's just a fun fun experience. I guess one question: How long does it take for you to do a typical indoor air quality inspection on one of these medical referrals? Uh, well, on, on any inspection, it, I usually say with help four or five hours, um, if I do it alone, add another two hours in. Um, so it's, it's a big, uh, big issue. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, as, as we found in, in this field, we, we don't always, we're not always able to charge the hour for the hours we put in. Yep. And that's certainly true in my case. So I've done as best I can to add verbiage into my report formats to split them in three parts. Got the mold part, got the EMFs and the indoor air and the rest of it in one part. And I've got um, uh, just a, a, to-do, a to-do, to-do list in one part. So it helps them to get organized. Um, and I can, I can do that in an hour or two usually. Um, so it, you know, but, but it's, it's uh, it's a lot of work. I'd like to, I know we're getting close to the end, I'd like to pass on um, a blessing that um, I, I guess she's probably an Orthodox uh, Jewish client gave me last week, and, and I mentioned her religion because it's, it's a Jewish way of phrasing um, uh, this, but her, she said, uh, you should be able to do this holy work, and, and that's, that's beautiful. I posted that up on my board you know, may you have the strength to do this holy work, and it is. We are we are privileged to be invited into homes of vulnerable people that are struggling with so many illnesses and and pressures. Um, and uh, we have, you know, we have the opportunity to to uh, bear some of their burdens for a, a little bit and try to ease them and and uh, do the best we can to pass on um, what we have learned and and. Uh, have experienced over the years ourselves well i can't think of a better way to end things cliff unless you have any final questions or comments no i don't i'm good and uh may it's been fantastic i'm really glad we were able to get you on and um, before we go do you have any final comments you'd like to make anything you'd like to add 
No, I, I would just like to um, to plug your your conference. Um, I certain that's my first time. Last time there, Healthy Building Summit, and I certainly um, gained a, a great deal from it and appreciated the spirit there and uh, the the sense of movement. You know, we're going to go forward with or without um, support and and uh, try to do the best we can for folk. Well, thank you, May. We appreciate that. We'll be back November 2nd through the 4th at Seven Springs Resort for our Research to Practice conference. And uh, I, I really hope you can make it again this year. I'd love to have you do a session on um, on the electromagnetic field issue. Uh, maybe we could get some instruments in there and, you know, actually we'll do. do some real-world stuff. All right. Super. Thank you, May Dooley. Thanks so much. All right, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, May Dooley, Environmental Consulting, Enviro Health Consulting of Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. What a lovely person. The ABCs of IEQ, EMFs, and mold and more. And, uh, of course, my thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Cliff, great show. Yeah, it was. I got a sore arm. <laughs> Cliff's been writing up a big blog this week. Of course, to our engineer, John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, to our growing group of loyal listeners, thanks you all for joining us. And we'll be back next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Real saying thanks for listening. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.